Eugenics. When you think of eugenics, what comes to mind? Hitler? The Lindbergh baby? The Rockefellers? Designer babies? World-renowned scientists? The amount eugenics pops up in random-ass stories, like the disappearance, in air quotes, of the Lindbergh baby, the Rockefellers, the twins born in China recently after being genetically modified using CRISPR, is bizarre once one sees the patterns. Eugenics isn't new, and it certainly isn't going away. In American history, eugenics is taboo. Shout out to the motherfucking Nazis for proving this taboo to be true. The only time I'll shout out to the motherfucking Nazis. And if you don't get the joke, this podcast will offend you, okay? Oh, and this is Ashley, the unqualified host of Taboo and Murder. Today, I'm getting back to the taboo and murder roots. So let's talk eugenics, shall we? Hitler and the henchmen victimized an entire continent and exterminated millions in his quest for a so-called master race. Okay, already breaking from my notes, I've done an episode on public executions, but the methods of execution and the experimentation that accompanied the Nazis is, is insane and worthy of its own episode. The Nazis sure have set the bar high or low, not sure on that one. Um, I've also realized that in my desire to draw parallels to the brutality of today in the form of football um, with public executions of decades past, I didn't cover the truly unthinkable ways we've devised to kill one another over the years. I may have to do an execution series um, to thoroughly go over the experience of the executioner, the accused, and the multitude of methods that were more often than not botched while putting one to death. Okay, so Hitler is the fucking worst, we all agree. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, I can only assume. Um, but the concept of a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, master Nordic race didn't originate with Hitler. The idea was created in dun, 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 the United States and cultivated in California decades before Hitler came to power. California eugenicists played an important, although little-known, role in the American eugenics movement campaign for ethnic cleansing. That's why I'm here. Break the taboo. Like all of the ugliest parts of American history, we either ignore them or flip it and reverse it. Eugenics was the racist pseudoscience determined to wipe away all human beings deemed unfit, preserving only those who conformed to a Nordic stereotype. Raises hand slowly, I conform to a Nordic stereotype. Elements of the philosophy were enshrined as national policy by forced sterilization and segregation laws, as well as marriage restrictions enacted in 27 states. In 1909, California became the third state to adopt such laws. Ultimately, eugenics practitioners coercively sterilized some 60,000 Americans, barred the marriage of thousands, forcibly segregated thousands in colonies or ghettos, and persecuted untold numbers in ways we are just learning. I can only imagine the shit we still don't know that happened then, and even more disconcerting what we don't know that is happening right now. Before World War II, nearly half of coercive sterilizations were done in California, and even after the war, the state accounted for a third of all such surgeries. So California was just leading the way. California was considered an epicenter of the American eugenics movement. During the 20th century's first decades, California's eugenicists included potent but little-known race scientists such as Army venereal disease specialist Dr. Paul Peony, citrus magnate and polytechnic benefactor Paul Gosney, Sacramento banker Charles M. Goth, as well as members of the California State Board of Charities and Corrections and the University of California Board of Regents. Eugenics would have been relegated to bizarre parlor talk had it not been for extensive financing by corporate philanthropies, specifically the Carnegie Institution, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the Harriman Railroad Fortune. 
They were all in league with some of America's most respected scientists hailing from such prestigious universities as uh, Stanford, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton. These academians espoused race theory and race science and then faked and twisted data to serve eugenicists' racist aims. Stanford President David Starr Jordan originated the notion of race and blood in his 1902 uh, racial uh, Blood of a Nation, um, I think it's like a novella, in which the university scholar declared the human qualities and conditions such as talent and poverty were passed on through the blood. In 19, I would say, um, actually, it's through... Um, institutions that are all patriarchal ones. Anyway, in 1904, the uh, Carnegie Institution established a laboratory complex at Cold Spring Harbor on Long Island and stockpiled millions of index cards on ordinary Americans as researchers carefully plotted the removal of families, bloodlines, and whole peoples. From Cold Spring Harbor, eugenics advocates agitated in the legislatures of America, as well as the nation's social service agencies and associations. The Harriman Railroad Fortune paid local charities such as the New York Bureau of Industries and Immigration to seek out Jewish, Italian, and other immigrants in New York and other crowded cities and subject them to deportation, trumped-up confinement, or forced sterilization. The Rockefeller Foundation helped found the German eugenics program and even funded the program that Josef Mengele worked in before he went to Auschwitz. Much of the spiritual guidance and political agitation of the American eugenics movement came from California's quasi-autonomous eugenics societies, such as the Pasadena-based Human Betterment Foundation and the California branch of the American Eugenics Society, which coordinated much of their activity with the Eugenics Research Society in Long Island. These organizations, which factioned as, uh, excuse me, which functioned as part of a closely knit network, published racist eugenic newsletters and pseudoscientific journals, such as, um, oh God, how do you even say that? Eugenical, yeah, eugenical news and eugenics and propaganda, uh, propagandized uh, for the Nazis. Eugenics was born as a scientific curiosity in the Victorian age. In 1863, Sir Francois Galtion, a cousin of Charles Darwin, I've also heard it reported a half cousin, theorized that if talented people only married other talented people, the result would be measurably better offspring. At the turn of the last century, Galton's ideas were imported into the United States just as Gregor Mendel's principles of heredity were rediscovered. American eugenic advocates believed with religious fervor that the same medallion concepts determined the color and size of peas, corn, and cattle also governed the social and intellectual character of man. Yeah. Joseph Mengele, yay. He's coming up. In an American, uh, where am I at? In an America demographically reeling from immigration upheaval um, and torn by the post-reconstruction uh, chaos, race conflict was everywhere in the early 20th century. Elitists, utopians, and so-called progressives fused their smoldering race fears and class bias with their desire to make a better world. They reinvented Galton's eugenics into a repressive and racist ideology, the intent. Populate the earth with vastly more of their own socioeconomic and biological kind, and less or none of everyone else. The superior species the eugenics movement sought was populated not merely by tall, strong, talented people. Eugenicists craved blonde, blue-eyed, Nordic types. This group alone, they believed, was fit to inherit the earth. In the process, the movement intended to subtract uh, emancipated Negroes, immigrant Asian laborers, Indians, Hispanics, East uh, Europeans, Jews, dark-haired, hill folk, poor people, the infirm, and really anyone classified outside the gentrified um, genetic line, lines drawn up by American raceologists. How? 
by identifying so-called defective family trees and subjecting them to lifelong segregation and sterilization programs to kill their bloodlines. The grand plan was to literally wipe away the reproductive capability of those deemed weak and inferior, the so-called unfit. The eugenicists hoped to neutralize the viability of 10% of the population at a sweep until none were left except themselves. 18 solutions were explored in a Carnegie-supported 1991 um, preliminary report of the Committee of the Eugenic Section of the American Breeders Association to study and to report on the best practical means for cutting off and defense germ plasm in the human population. Point eight was euthanasia. By the way, in 1937, they stopped putting out these reports. Any fucking correlation as to why? 1937? Hmm. The most commonly suggested method of eugenicide in America was a lethal chamber or public um, locally operated gas chambers. In 1918, Papone, the Army venereal disease specialist during World War I, co-wrote the widely used textbook Applied Eugenics, which argued from a historical point of view, the first method which presents itself is execution. Its value in keeping up the standard of the race should not be underestimated. Applied Eugenics also devoted a chapter to lethal selection, which operated through the destruction of the individual by some adverse feature of the environment, such as excessive cold or bacteria or by bodily deficiency. Yeah, like starving people to death. Eugenic breeders believed American society was not ready to implement an organized lethal solution, but many mental institutions and doctors practiced improvised medical lethality and passive euthanasia on their own. Yeah, leaving people to wither and die. One institution in Lincoln, Illinois, fed its incoming patients milk from... Um, tubercular cows believing oh my god a eugenically strong individual would be immune 30 to 40 percent annual death rates resulted at lincoln some doctors practiced passive eugenicide um one newborn infant at a time other doctors at mental institutions engaged in lethal neglect Nonetheless, the eugenicide marginalized. The main solution for eugenicists was the rapid expansion of forced segregation and sterilization, as well as more marriage restrictions. California led the nation, performing nearly all sterilization procedures with little or no due process. In its first 25 years of eugenic legislation, California sterilized 9,782 individuals, mostly women. Many were classified as bad girls, diagnosed as passionate, oversexed, or sexually wayward. At Sonoma, some women were sterilized because of what was deemed an abnormally large clitoris or labia. Seriously? Now we're getting shamed for our, our clitoris and labia? Fuck. In 1933 alone, at least 1,278 coercive sterilizations were performed, 700 of which were on women. The state's two leading sterilization mills in 1933 were Sonoma State Home with 388 operations and Patton State Hospital with 363 operations. Other sterilization centers included Agnews, um, Mendocino, Napa, Norwalk, Stockton, and Pacific Colony State Hospitals. Californians, I'm sorry, this isn't a good episode for you. Even the United States Supreme Court endorsed aspects of eugenics. The Supreme Court never gets it wrong, guys, ever. Corporations are people too. Brett Kavanaugh. Even the United States Supreme Court endorsed aspects of eugenics. In the infamous 1927 decision, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote, It is better for all the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime or to let them starve for the imbolacy, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit for continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. Right on. You just nailed it. Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. So this decision opened the floodgates for thousands to be coercively sterilized or otherwise persecuted as subhuman. Years later, the Nazis at the Nuremberg trials quoted Holmes's words in their own defense. 
Only after eugenics became entrenched in the United States was the campaign transplanted into Germany in no small measure through the efforts of California eugenicists who published booklets idealizing sterilization and circulated them to German officials and scientists. Hitler studied American eugenics laws. He tried to legitimize his anti-Semitism by medicalizing it and wrapping it in more palatable pseudoscientific facade, such as eugenics. Hitler was able to recruit more followers among reasonable Germans by claiming that science was on his side. While Hitler's race hatred sprung from his own mind, the intellectual outlines of the eugenics Hitler adopted in 1994 were made in America. Hear that? Made in America. During the 20s, Carnegie Institution um, eugenic scientists cultivated deep personal and professional relationships with Germany's fascist eugenics in Mein Kampf. Uh, published in 1924, Hitler quoted American eugenic ideology and openly displayed a thorough knowledge of American eugenics. There is today one state, wrote Hitler, in which at least weak uh, beginnings toward a better conception of immigration are noticeable. Of course, it is not our model German Republic, but the United States. Hitler proudly told his comrades just how closely he followed the progress of the American eugenics movement. I have studied with great interest, he told a fellow Nazi, the laws of several American states concerning prevention of reproduction by people whose progeny would, in all probability, be of no value or be injurious to the racial stock. Hitler even wrote a fan letter to American eugenic leader Madison Grant calling his race-based eugenics book The Passing of the Great Race his Bible. Hitler's struggle for a superior race would be a mad crusade for a master race. Now the American term Nordic was freely exchanged with Germanic or Aryan. Race science, racial purity, and racial dominance became the driving force behind Hitler's Nazism. Nazi eugenics would ultimately dictate who would be persecuted in a Reich-dominated Europe, how people would live, and how they would die. Nazi doctors would become the unseen generals in Hitler's war against the Jews and other Europeans deemed inferior. Doctors would create the science, devise the eugenic formulas, and even hand-select the victims for sterilization, euthanasia, and mass extermination. During the Reich's early years, eugenicists across America welcomed Hitler's plans as a logical fulfillment of their own decades of research and effort. California eugenicists republished Nazi propaganda for America consum American consumption. They also arranged for Nazi scientific exhibits such as an August 1934 display at the L.A. County Museum for the annual meeting of the American Public Health Association. In 1934, as Germany's sterilizations were accelerating beyond 5,000 per month, the California eugenics leader C.M. Goeth, upon returning from Ger Germany, bragged to a key colleague, you will be interested to know that your work has played a powerful part in shaping the opinions of the group of intellectuals who are behind Hitler in his epoch-making program. Everywhere I sensed that their opinions have been tremendously stimulated by American thought. I want you, my dear friend, to carry this thought for you with you for the rest of your life that you have really jolted into action a great government of 60 million people. That same year, 10 years after Virginia passed its Sterilization Act, Joseph DeJarnett, uh, superintendent of Virginia's uh, Western State Hospital, observed in the Richmond Times-Dispatch, the Germans are beating us at our own game. Wow, mass murdering people by a scientific... Um, backing it was a fucking sport. More than just providing the scientific roadmap, America funded Germany's eugenic institutions. By 1926, Rockefeller, uh, Rockefeller had donated some 410000 almost $4 million in 21st century money, to hundreds of German researchers. 
including Mangala. In May 1926, Rockefeller awarded $250,000 to the German Psychiatric Institute of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, later to become the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Psychiatry. Among the leading psychiatrists at the German Psychiatric Institute was Ernst Rudin, that name will come up again, who became director and eventually an architect of Hitler's systematic medical repression. Another of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute's eugenic complex of institutions was the Institute for Brain Research. Since 1915, it had operated out of a single room. Everything changed when Rockefeller money arrived in 1929. A grant of $317,000 allowed the Institute to construct a major building and take center stage in German race biology. The Institute received additional grants from the Rockefeller Foundation during the next several years. Leading the Institute once again was Hitler's medical henchman Ernst Rudin. Rudin's organization became a prime director and recipient of the murderous experimentation and research conducted on Jews, gypsies, and others. Beginning in 1940, thousands of Germans taken from old-age homes, mental institutions, and other custodial facilities were systematically gassed. Between 500 and 100,000 were eventually killed. Leon Whitney, executive secretary on the American Eugenics Society, declared of Nazism, While we were pussyfooting around, the Germans were calling a spade a spade. A special recipient of Rockefeller funding was the Kaiser Wilhelm Institution for Anthropology, Human Heredity, and Eugenics in Berlin. For decades, American eugenicists had craved twins to advance their research into heredity. The Institute was now prepared to undertake such research on an unprecedented level. On May 13, 1932, the Rockefeller Foundation in New York dispatched a radiogram to its Paris office. June meeting executive committee $9,000 over three-year period to KWG Institute Anthropology for Research on Twins and Effects on Later Generations of Substances Toxic for Germ Plasm. Yeah, okay, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, At the time of Rockefeller, so he gave a bunch of money and said, hey, I want you to use this for continuing uh, to kill people. At the time of Rockefeller's endowment, Otomar Fier von Verschurer, I said that wrong, I know I did, Otmar Fier von Verschurer, a hero in American eugenics circles, functioned as a head of the Institute for Anthropology, Human Heredity, and Eugenics. Rockefeller funding of the Institute continued both directly and through other research conduits during um, Verschur's early tenure, that super German-sounding guy that everybody in America was super excited about. In 1935, Verschur left the Institute to form a rival eugenics facility in Frankfurt that was much heralded in the American eugenic press. Research on twins in the Third Reich exploded, backed by the government decrees. Verschur wrote to in Der Isbrot, God, I can't speak German, a eugenic doctor's journal he edited that Germany's war would yield a total solution to the Jewish problem, end quote. Verschur, I'm going to call him Verschur, had a long uh, time assistant. His name was Josef Mengele. On May 30th, 1943, Mengele arrived at Auschwitz. Verschurner, wait, was I just going to call him Verscher? Notified the German Research Society, my assistant, Dr. Josef Mengele, MD, PhD, joined me in this branch of research. He is presently employed as, uh, let's try to say this for um, giggles. Hopstermarfer, captain, um, and camp physician in the Auschwitz concentration camp. So employed as the captain and camp physician, because I tried to botch that. Anthropological testing of the most diverse racial groups in this concentration camp is being carried out with permission of the SS Reich. Himmler, that is. Mengele began searching the boxcar arrivals for twins. When he found them, he performed beastly experience, experiments. Um, oh, it's so gross. 
uh, wrote up the reports and then uh, sent the paperwork back to Vershoor's Institute for Evaluation. Often cadavers, eyes, and other body parts were also dispatched to Berlin's Eugenic Institutes. The amount of experimentation on twins is insane. I could do an entire episode on that. Rockefeller um, executives never knew of Mengele. With few exceptions, the foundation had ceased all eugenic studies in Nazi-occupied Europe before the war erupted in 1939. But by that time, the die had been cast. The talented men Rockefeller and Carnegie financed the institutions they helped found and the science it helped create took on a scientific momentum of their own. After the war, eugenics was declared a crime against humanity, an act of genocide. Germans were tried, and they cited the California statutes in their defense. To no avail. They were found guilty. However, Mengele's boss, Verschur, escaped uh, prosecution. He reestablished his connections with California eugenicists who had gone underground and renamed their crusade Human Genetics. Typical was in exchange on July 25th, 1946, when Poponi wrote Verschur, It was indeed a pleasure to hear from you again. I have been very anxious about my colleagues in Germany. I suppose sterilization has been discontinued in Germany? Papone offered tidbits about various American eugenic luminaries and then sent various eugenic publications. In a separate package, he sent some cocoa, coffee, and other goodies. For sure, wrote back your very friendly letter of uh, July 25th gave me a great deal of pleasure and you have my heartfelt thanks for it. The letter builds another bridge between your and my scientific work. I hope that this bridge will never again collapse, but rather make possible valuable mutual enrichment and stimulation. Soon, Verschur once again became a respected scientist in Germany and around the world. In 1949, he became a corresponding member of, member of the newly formed American Society of Human Genetics, organized by American eugenicists and geneticists. In the fall of 1950, the University of Munster offered Verschur a position at its new institute in human genetics, where he later became a dean. In the early to mid-1950s, he became an honorary member of numerous prestigious societies, including the Italian Society of Genetics, the Anthropological Society of Vienna, and the Japanese Society for Human Genetics. Yeah, ruined his fucking career, huh? Human genetics, uh, human geneticists, uh, genocidal roots in eugenics were ignored by a victorious generation that refused to link itself to the crimes of Nazism and by a su- succeeding, um, seceding generations that never knew the truth of the years leading up to the war. Now, governors of five states, including California, have issued public apologies to their citizens, past and present, for sterilization and the other abuses spawned by the eugenics movement. Human uh, genetics became an enlightened endeavor in the late 20th century. Hard-working, devoted scientists finally cracked the human code through the Human Genome Project. Now, every individual can be biologically identified and classified by trait and ancestry. Yet, even now, some leading voices in the genetic world are calling for a cleansing of the unwanted among us, and even a master human species. There is understandable wariness about more ordinary forms of abuse, for example, in denying insurance or employment based on genetic tests. On October 14th, America's first genetic anti-discrimination legislation passed the Senate by unanimous vote. Yet, because genetics research is global, no single nation's law can stop the threats. So, Why aren't most people taught about the American eugenics movement as part of U.S. history? I know that throughout my entire educational career, it's not something that was ever studied explicitly. I had no idea any of this really even happened until I was listening to an episode of The Fucking Dollop, I think, a couple of years ago, and then started putting everything together. Shout out to The Dollop. They cover gruesome subjects in just a hilarious way. The pen is mightier than the sword and all that shit, right? And from our Eurocentric view, we wrote history with the standard whitewashing we apply to all of our activities, paging the raping pillaging founder of the New World, Christopher Columbus. Anyway, 
Um, the article that I referenced and pulled uh, from above is definitely worth reading, and I will link to it in the show notes. One quote that I think is just fucking relevant today as it was in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, it's simple. Science can be manipulated to achieve an end. Yeah. So now I'm going to go through a timeline of eugenics in the Western world. And uh, shockingly, there wasn't a ton of information. It's like people didn't want, um, you know, to like be proud of the manipulation of science. Also, I think it would be unfair to not acknowledge that simply the scientific breakthroughs weren't available until the, you know, early 1900s. And so it was just the perfect storm of science being utilized and growing faster than our moral understanding of, you know, how we should utilize said science. So in 1854, kind of kicking the eugenics movement off, Alfred Dreyfus is born. In uh, 1898, he will be forced to undergo a show trial in France for espionage, espionage, largely because he is Jewish. 1857, Dred Scott decision, Negroes are so inferior that they have no rights which a white man is bound to respect. Yeah, we did a good job there. 1859, Darwin's Origin of Species, the general theory of evolution defended by Thomas Henry Huxley, Darwin's Bulldog. 1870, the Franco-Prussian War, the participants saw it as a race war. This is referenced because many think it's a the reason that the, uh, World War I essentially happened other than Ferdinand getting killed. 1871, the German psychologist, uh, psychologist Rudolf Virchow conducted a study of 6.7 million children in Germany comparing Jewish and Christian children across a range of physical characteristics. No differences were found. However, the findings from the study produced no cultural impact. Uh, Virchow is essentially the last major voice in Germany arguing against the idea that there are races within mankind. Yeah, most people th- don't think that races exist. There's one race, Homo sapien. 1871, Darwin's Descent of Man, its main thesis, man developed from a lower life form, evolution. 1883, Francis Galton, Darwin's cousin or second cousin, coins the word eugenics. His early aim was to selectively marry off the population so that poor heredity would be eliminated. Galton begins popularizing his ideas. Sorry, I thought I was going to sneeze there. Oh. 1891, Hans Dreisch uh, spilt a fertilized sea urchin egg, which was at uh, the two-cell division stage by hand. Each cell subsequently developed into two small but identical sea urchin larvae. His research was carried on by Hans Spiemann in Germany and Ross Harrison in the U.S. I didn't catch that as I was perusing my notes. It's interesting. An accident 1904, Francis Galton endows a chair of eugenics at the University of London. The Journal of Racial and Social Biology, founded in Germany in this year, will follow Francis Galton's work in England uh, throughout his career. In 1907, the U.S. state of Indiana passes the world's first mandatory sterilization law. 1911, eugenics journals are common throughout Europe. 1912, American sociologist Henry Henry Herbert Goddard, director of the training school for feeble-minded boys and girls in Vineland, New Jersey, publishes his accounts of the Kalinkas. Uh, Deborah Kalinka, probably saying that wrong, was considered feeble-minded. Her family tree was traced back six generations, and feeble-mindedness was purportedly found in every generation. Elizabeth Kite, an assistant of Goddard, who had no formal training, did most of the research. The work demonstrated that feeble-mindedness and a propensity towards crime was inherited. Not like, you know, being limited by your socioeconomic standing or anything. Scientists loved the work. A Broadway show based on the book was considered. Oh my god. Years later, the data was found to have been fabricated by Kite and Goddard. 
shocking. 1914, Goddard's book, Feeble-Mindedness, Its Causes and Consequences, was the complete study of the 300 families of the Kalalik line, stories of the Jukes and the Nams of New York, the tribe of Ishmael in India, the Hill Folk of Ohio, and the Dax of Pennsylvania were also published about this time. However, the Kalalik study was by far the most influential. All of the above mentioned works were carried out by American sociologists. And like I said, um, that data was faked. 1914, the Kalek study was published in Germany the same year. 1914, First World War. Most historians consider this war to be the direct result of the Franco-Prussian War. 1916, you should know this name. Margaret Sanger opens the, her first birth control clinic. 1917, Goddard and the new IQ test determined that the average immigrant had a moron-grade intelligence level. The intelligence quotient was seen as immutable, fixed in the genes. 1917, Margaret Sanger founds the Birth Control League and its magazine, The Birth Control Review. She edits this magazine until 1938. It promotes Sanger's idea, more children from the fit, less from the unfit. 1920, the release of Unworthy Life, that it might be destroyed by the German lawyer Carl Binding and the physician Alfred Hock. The book was not... Um, avowedly racist, but was definitely utilitarian. It asserted that non-useful people had to die so others could use scarce resources to live. God, that I can see, hear that coming out of a certain president's mouth. Euthanasia was based on a common respect for everyone's will to live. Note the correspondence to resource preservation and overpopulation arguments. 1921, the Birth Control League, founded by Sanger in 1917, changes its name to the American Birth Control League. Stoddard is on the board of directors. Um, in this year, Sanger wrote, I think you must agree that the campaign for both birth control is not merely of eugenic value, but is practically identical with the final aims of eugenics. Birth control propaganda is thus the entering wedge of the eugenic educator. 1922, Stoddard publishes The Revolt Against Civilization. It asserts that uncontrolled reproduction among defective families would bring the twilight of American mind in the dusk of mankind. 1922, Margaret Sanger publishes Pivot of Civilization. It advocates birth control and IQ testing mandatory for the lower classes. Philanthropy is seen as a positive danger to society since it allows the lower classes to propagate. Sanger will assert that up to 70% of the population had an intellect of less than a 15-year-old. She will also promote the idea of parenthood licenses, no one being permitted to have a child unless they first obtain a government-approved parenthood permit. That sounds reasonable. I'm kidding. If only there was a way to make that happen for only the people that should not be reproducing. And now I've started down the road that the Nazis were on. So Sanger is a strong advocate and practitioner of free love and considers marriage both an abomination and an assault on human liberty. She supports compulsory education and restriction on child labor, not because it is good for the children, but because it would prove to be a burden to the poor and force them to restrict family size. 1924, the Immigration Restriction Act comes into effect. This act won't be removed until 1965. It is passed largely due to the supporting testimony of the Eugenics Records Office in Cold Spring Harbor, Long Island. The U.S. state of Virginia passes the Racial Integrity Act, which forbids mis uh, mis sexual relations between whites and blacks. I didn't know there was a fucking word for that. This law will become the model for the German Nuremberg laws. It is itself modeled on a sterilization, sterilization act developed by Harry Laughlin. It's a big fucking circle of people jerking themselves off or one another off. The law was written by W.A. Peckler, a eugenicist and the registrar for vital statistics for Virginia. He also worked closely with the Eugenics Records Office and belonged to several eugenic organizations. 
1924, the Rockefeller Foundation begins funding Margaret Sanger. In 1927, U.S. Supreme Court upholds the validity of mandatory sterilization in Buck versus Bell. God, they never get it wrong, that Supreme Court. During the Nuremberg trials, a German doctor will cite Buck versus Bell as the precedent for Nazi race hygiene and sterilization programs. 1930, the Lambeth Conference in England approves for the first time the use of contraceptives, albeit only within the marriage and only for grave reasons. At least one noted eugenicist, the Reverend Dr. D.S. Bailey, was a participant in this conference. 1932, Aldous Huxley publishes Brave New World. It explicitly modeled a society created through the Marquis de Sade's version of the French Revolution in which the bodies of everyone were the common property of all and minds were purged of all the inhibitions which society had established. In his work, he predicts the totalitism will take the form of government control in exchange for social stability. Totalitarian governments must take their subjects, love their servitude, um, and this is best undertaken um, by allowing hedonism. He argues that doing nothing and the silence which it entails are the best weapons of propaganda. According to Huxley, in order for totalitarianism to, t- I can't say that, to take hold, four principles must be present. Blah, blah, blah. Read the book if you weren't required to read it when you were pursuing your educational career. So 1933 is a big year. January 30th, Hitler is appointed Chancellor of Germany by Hindenburg. Uh, The April issue of the Birth Control Review is devoted entirely to eugenic sterilization with a feature article by Dr. Ernst Rudin, the director of Germany's Eugenics Institute. July 14th, hereditary health law created based on the Laughlin model. Germany also sets up the first eugenics courts. Within a year, 56,000 people would be sterilized. This move was roundly applauded by American eugenicists. I can hear it. November the study, the Kalakak study, um, is republished in Germany. Harry Laughlin puts the number of eugenic sterilizations performed in the U.S. at 15,000 through December of 1931. Hans Spiemann, the German developer of um, ch- chimeric animals, I have no idea what that is, comes to the U.S. to deliver the Silman Invitational Lecture at Yale. Okay, don't know what that meant. Sorry that you had to hear that. 1934, the German Constitution of 1871 forbade action. The article which outlawed um, it was not changed until this year when the Hamburg courts declared a racial emergency. Abortion is permitted in Germany for the first time since the German state came into being. Neglect of mentality and Physically handicapped patients is encouraged, so kill those people. 1935, the Nuremberg Laws are passed. An estimated 500,000 eugenic abortions have been performed in Germany. 1936, the Nazis award Henry Laughlin an honorary degree from Heidelberg University as part of the university's 550th anniversary celebration in appreciation for his eugenics efforts. Laughlin, in his acceptance, stated that the Germans provided the human seed stock which founded my own, founded my own country and thus gave basic character to our present lives and institutions. The American Eugenics Society has a roundtable discussion at which Nazi eugenicist Maria Kopp reads her paper on eugenic sterilization. Germans based their laws on the sterilization program in California carried out by the Human Betterment Foundation, now known as the Association for Voluntary Sterilization. Voluntary. That is funny. 1937, North Carolina became the first state to contribute money to Margaret Sanger's birth control movement. The North Carolina Public Health Office convinces uh, recalcitrant county official health officers to set up birth control clinics by telling them to check their vital statistics, confident that they would discover a higher proportion of black births. Two U.S. Rockefeller uh, grantees, George Pincus and Jackie's Loeb, used um, pathogens. Wait, parthenogens? 
some x-rays and electrical shocks and chemicals to induce uh, female pregnancy um, to ostensibly create several um, pathogenic monsters, one of which a rabbit was featured on the cover of Look magazine. Rockefeller grants have been instrumental in advancing eugenics. So basically, Rockefeller gave a ton of money to do all kinds of fucked up experiments um, on people and on animals. 1938. No reports coming out of um, California anymore from that board. 1938, 30 states in the U.S. have mandatory sterilization laws. The Knauer infant, a child born blind and having to form limbs, is starved in, to death in Germany, causing a storm of controversy in Europe. 1939, the German T4 program has begun. Mentally and physically handicapped children are systematically poisoned or starved to death. This is soon expanded to include handicapped adults as well. Margaret Sanger writes Clarence Gamble telling him to hire three or four colored ministers with engaging personalities. We do not want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro pop population. And the minister um, is the man who can straighten out that idea if it occurs to any of their more rebellious members. 1940, the American Birth Control League launches the Negro Project. 1941, Hackett's Handbook for Schooling Hitler Youth explains the Nazi eugenics program. <sighs> the Nazi regime recommends that abortion on the mother's request should be approved in order to reduce the superlative population. 1942, the birth control... Um, the American Birth Control League changes its name to Planned Parenthood. I know, you're gasping right now, right? No, you knew that. 1944, Planned Parenthood hires a permanent Negro consultant. 1947, Planned Parenthood policy required the hiring of staff at each clinic, which reflected the racial population it served in order to make birth control more palatable. 1961, the April issue of Scientific America carries the article How Cells Associate, which describes the cloning and... Um, hybridization of amphibian embryos performed by Dr. Clifford Gobstein, professor emeritus at UC San Diego, member of the American Fertility Society, and a member of the Hastings Center. I hate when the, somebody's fucking credentials are longer than their the thing that they fucking said. That annoys me. Read too much. 1968. Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Chamberlain, a researcher at George Washington University, obtains several live-born babies on the abortion schedule and attaches them to an artificial placenta under development. Several hours later, after the necessary data was obtained, the equipment is shut off and the children die. At least one child, a six-month-old obtained by hysterectomy, took over 20 minutes to die. Dr. Chamberlain won that year's prize for the um, uh, from the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology for best experiment. In the uh, this year, forty one percent of poll respondents wanted four or more children. By nineteen seventy one, the percentage had dropped to nineteen percent. Blah, 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 blah. The zero population growth movement is instrumental in adopting the unwanted child rhetoric, which eventually is adopted by the pro-abortion movement. Um, 1973, Roe v. Wade is approved in response to a prize competition from the Population Institution, which wanted television shows dealing with population matters. An episode of the television series Maud shows her having an abortion. 1984, Faye Waddleson tells the Washington Times that Margaret Sanger was devoted to eugenics and the advancement of the perfect race. In 1986, Faye Waddleson, oh, I already said that, uh, Planned Parenthood's definition of abstinence. Abstinence means making love without having intercourse. It is the most effective form of birth control, has been used for centuries, and is still very common. It has no physical side effects, and as long as prolonged sexual arousal is followed by orgasm to relieve pelvic congestion, it's fine. 1980s, Dr. Anne McLaren, British biologist, a frequent researcher at Cold Springs Harbor and a member of the American Fertility Society, is appointed to England's Warnock Committee, which is tasked to discuss whether or not human embryo experimentation should be permitted for the first 14 days. She introduces and popularizes the term pre-embryo. 
1992, 70% of Planned Parenthood clinics are located in predominantly black or Hispanic neighborhoods. And all these white dudes in the GOP want to eliminate Planned Parenthood. Weird. It's recognized by most of the United States that it has an imperfect history. Some of our darker chapters include slavery, the decimation of Amer- Native American populations, and atrocities committed during our various wars. A quick survey will review that most Americans have learned about or at least heard of these events. However, ask the average person about the eugenics movement, movement and you'll likely get blank stares. So eugenics comes from the Greek roots uh, for good and origin or good birth and involves applying principles of genetics and heredity for the purpose of improving blah, 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 blah. I already went through that. That's a lot of information that is redundant. Essentially, what I want to ask, why aren't most people taught about the American eugenics movement as part of U.S. history? Clearly, it had some fucking dire effects across the pond, as they say, and has some pretty big names associated with it and some pretty big dollars. So why don't we know? Like I said, the pen is mightier than the sword and all that shit. And, you know, from our Eurocentric view, we just don't want to acknowledge it possibly. Um, Oh, I just wanted to say the the quote science can be manipulated to achieve an end that was actually um, said by a senior SS officer after he was asked why he you know was involved in the atrocities that he was involved in. The amount of terrible shit out there is staggering. I could do episodes on the experiments performed on African American men in prison. If you're going to research, start with syphilis. I could do an episode on the sterilization of Native American women. I could do an episode on just the famous people with ties to eugenics or the Nazis, like George H.W. Bush and the Rockefellers, like we've talked about. And uh, the Lindberghs, uh, they're suspected of killing their baby due to uh, the fact that the baby had some mental deficiencies and they were huge proponents of eugenics, allegedly. And Rosemary Kennedy was forced to have a lobotomy. Not allegedly. That fucking happened. Look it up. I could do an entire episode on CRISPR, but just check out Radiolab. They did a fantastic episode. Actually, I think they've done two episodes uh, now. I think they've updated it. It's better than anything I could ever pull off. Oh, and I know right now there's controversy surrounding a Chinese scientist that genetically modified a set of twins using CRISPR. Said twins were born seemingly perfectly healthy last year. Keep an eye out on this topic. It's only going to become bigger. So are you surprised to learn that we as in Americans exported our eugenics to Germany before it was Nazi Germany? Considering that I've already covered genocide, I feel that I'm numb to the numbers of atrocities in this vein. Again, that Stalin quote, one death is a tragedy, a million a statistic comes to mind. Thank you for continuing to support Taboo and Murder. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. For show ideas, please reach out on Twitter at SMTaboo. Thanks for listening.